you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message.
way down. For some of us, he kept us. But his blood still works today. Hallelujah. I'm reading this morning from the book of 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, and also from 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. And while you are preparing to turn in your Bibles, I want to say, along with those who have already welcomed our guests today, how thankful we are for all of our guests being here this morning. What an amazing group of people we have here this morning. Thank you for being here. I just want you to do one thing. I want you to consider what it would be like for you to worship with us every Sunday morning. We would love it you would be blessed life would be better consider joining us every Sunday morning 1 Corinthians the ninth chapter verse number 24 know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize so run that you may obtain And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things now. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible crown. Now for those of you who were here on Wednesday in our midweek Bible study, heard me teach from that passage and I I couldn't get away from it. 
for this message this morning, but I want to connect with that 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, reading verse number 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. By the help of the Lord today, I want to preach a pretty straightforward Easter message to you this morning. And I'm going to choose for a title today two words. We win. Easter says one thing to us, we win. We win. We win. Look at your neighbor and tell them we win. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you to the choir, the music team, those who have come and rehearsed, to all of our student ministries, children's ministry, teachers, workers, volunteers that are in the classrooms this morning that have worked through the last few weeks in preparing for this day. There's a great day in store. There are things that are happening at our Lebanon campus this afternoon, and if you have it available, we would love for you to join us in Lebanon at 2 o'clock. There's going to be more activities, an Easter egg hunt for the kids. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time, but we are glad that you're here this morning. We have come today to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. I hope to convey that adequately today through this message that I'm going to preach over the next few moments. But I want to take a little time in leading into my message and talking about the resurrection because before we get to the resurrection, first we have to look at the cross. I don't preach too often on the subject of the cross for I fear that we have become numb to the message of the cross the scripture said it is the power of God unto salvation. The message of the cross and the blood is not meant to thrill us. It is not intended to make us feel good or to make us feel good about ourselves. But rather it is meant to jolt us into the reality of what our Lord and Savior did for us and remind us of the brutality of what salvation cost for you and I, yet it is offered to us free. When I preach about the cross, I'm preaching about a subject that most of us already know so much about. We have heard it so much that many of us have become immune to the effect of the preaching of the cross. It doesn't move us any longer, and it doesn't move us to tears. Our emotions are no longer stirred because we've heard the message over and over again. Today, as I approach the subject of the cross, I don't want to just breeze by with old familiarity, but if you would allow me the opportunity to strike a chord on your heartstrings this morning and remind you, of the awesome price that Jesus Christ paid for you and I. I want to stop by and spend a little time at the cross today. 
I want us to take time to look with fresh eyes as the Lamb of God was slain for the foundation, before the foundation of the world. I want you to see Jesus as I saw him over the last few days in preparation for this message. And I want you to understand what he did for you and what he did for me. The cross of Calvary is the most powerful reference point in history. It is the benchmark of all Christianity. The entire timetable of history of the world is built around the cross. The cross of Christ is the only hope for all ages. It was pointed to by the prophets. It was the hope of the Old Testament saints. It was despised by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was a stumbling block for the Jews. The cross was foolishness to the Greeks, and it has become the central point of salvation for the church. The cross is our only hope of salvation. Calvary is not bound by limitations of time. Calvary is not limited by the prejudices of men, for his blood was shed for all mankind. And the only message of the cross that I can preach to you this morning is the saving message because the cross says nothing other than I am the Savior of the world. His blood and the cross has the power to save men from their sins. He shed his blood so you and I no longer have to live in our sins, but we can be saved from our sins. I, I think we ought to just stop for a moment this morning and we ought to pause at a moment by Calvary and we ought to put our hands in the air and we ought to say thank you, Jesus, for the redemptive work that you did on Calvary's cross. The blood he shed for us, we ought to thank him for a moment this morning. We ought to honor him this morning. Our King of kings and Lord of lords shed his blood for you and I that we may be free. And whom the Son has set free are truly free indeed. The scene that day was gruesome. It was somewhere between 9 and 10 o'clock on a Friday morning. A large crowd of people gathered at the gate of the city of Jerusalem. Some were there in sympathy, but most were there in hate. It was a disorderly crowd. They were disruptive. Some were gloating and shouting while others were weeping and wailing. In those days of Roman rule, when a criminal was to be crucified, he was taken from judgment hall and was set in the middle of a quadrant of, of Roman soldiers. Then his cross would be laid upon his shoulders. Jesus, the Savior of the world, our Savior, was forced to march by the longest possible route up to the hill called Golgotha, where before him a soldier carried a sign which had a crime inscribed upon it. It was the only crime that they could find that would be punishable. The only thing that they could say against him was they say that he 
claims to be the king of the Jews. It was the only accusation they had against him. Jesus stood trial in front of Pilate, but there was no evidence found. There was no fault in him, Pilate declares, but the crowd that day, they wanted his blood. The only accusation against him, he speaks about a kingdom which will come. He claims to be the king of the Jews. When they ask him about that very question, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus returned to them a question and asked them, is he? Would you say, what do you think? What do you say about him? I ask that question to you this morning. Is he the king? So Pilate decided to shift the responsibility. He shifted it away from himself and let the crowd make the decision. So he gave the choice. Would you have Barabbas or would you have Jesus? They wanted Barabbas to go free, but Jesus they cried, let him be crucified. Amid the screaming voices that day was a weakening body of a suffering Savior. His back was torn by the whip of the soldiers, 40 stripes save one, by the cat of nine tails. His face was bruised and bleeding from the fist of the soldiers meeting his jaw and from the beard being ripped from his tender face. Then came the crowning moment. The crown of thorns were pressed into his brow. His forehead was punctured by the thorns. This was an uncommon occurrence. This wasn't something that they normally would do. Perhaps most historians believe that it had perhaps never happened before, nor would it ever happen again. The crown of thorns would be plaited and pushed into the tender scalp of our Savior. His forehead would begin to bleed as it was punctured and blood would stream down across his face. Perhaps in their own minds it seemed right to them for they heard him speak of a kingdom that was to come. They heard him speak of himself being the ruler of that kingdom and somehow they got in their mind that he was calling himself the king of the Jews but rather they were calling him the king of the Jews. With little research one knows that the crown of thorns that they placed upon his head that day had strong symbolic implication even to us today. The crown on the head of anyone simply meant kingship. It was a granting of honor or it was a prize given to champions who were victorious over some great game, some national championship. They would be crowned a champion or a ruler would be crowned a king. But in this case, the crown of thorns that was placed upon his head was clearly placed there to show utter disrespect for him. It was meant to be condescending. They were mocking him. They placed it upon his head as a form of mockery in their condescending words saying, Hail, King of the Jews. 
This is why they placed the inscription over his head and hung it upon the cross. King of the Jews. By their mockery, they were proving that they did not believe that he truly was the king of the Jews. He certainly was not their king. And they did not believe that he was king at all. Little did they know that their decision that day would have divine consequences. When Pilate sought to be released from the guilt of judging the innocent man, he goes to a basin of water and he washed his hands. But they said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Oh, they did not know what they were saying. They called for the blood of our Savior, the guilt of our Savior, the death of our Savior's guilt to be upon them. And what an awful price that they and their children and generations after have paid. The prophet Isaiah gives us some insight into the divine purpose of what was taking place just before the crucifixion in Isaiah the 53rd chapter beginning with the 5th verse he says but he speaking of Jesus but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace, your peace and my peace was upon him and with his stripes you and I we are healed. I come this morning to tell you what they meant to disrespect to harm and to destroy released forgiveness for the worst of sins for the worst of iniquities for every failure and every fault it was for you and it was for me our peace you don't have to live in turmoil in your mind it was upon him our peace was upon him and you no longer have to die from every sickness that comes into your body because by his stripes we are healed. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise this morning. Oh, Hallelujah. We understand now that what he did, he did for us. With outstretched arms, he laid himself upon the cross. His hands and his feet were nailed to that cross. But the scripture says that no man took his life, but he laid it down. The soldiers and the crown taunted him that day. The crowd and their jeering disrespected and mocked him that day. As he hung on that cross, he watched the soldiers gamble for the only things that he owned in this earth. And that was 
his garments. They gambled at the foot of his cross. Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. And one of those times, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. If he could forgive his own accusers, if he could kill those, if he could, if he could forgive those who were attempting to kill him, those who drove nails in his hands and feet, spat upon him, mocked him, plucked his beard from him, beat him, jeered him, cried out in mockery to him. If he could forgive them, surely he can forgive us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. At about 3 p.m., Jesus cried in a loud voice, and he said, it is finished. And the scripture said that he gave up the ghost, or in other words, he died. But ladies and gentlemen, he wasn't there alone that day. Because gathered there were all sorts of people. There were the scribes and the scholars and the teachers of Jewish law who hated him. There were the Pharisees and the priests who bought him with 30 pieces of silver. There was the crowd there that day that cried crucify him. There was the judge who sentenced him. There were the thieves who died with him. There were the people who also ministered to him. And then, there we were, you and I. Because the songwriter said it right. Because when he was on the cross, you and I were on his mind. The cross is where he first met me, and the cross is where I first met him. There is no other way to meet him. You must go by the cross. It is the only way of salvation. No matter who says what, no matter what is acceptable in society, there is only one way to be saved. And that is by Jesus Christ and his shed blood. The Bible is emphatic no other way can anyone get to heaven except by the door? Let me get back today to the crown of thorns that he wore that day. Although they did not know it, the crown of thorns that they placed upon his head as mockery actually became a prophetic symbol of victory for you and for I. 
They thought Jesus was defeated. When he hung his head and said, it is finished, they thought they had won. When they plucked his beard, when they saw him cringe under the Roman soldier's nails, when they saw him suffering and hanging his head, they thought they had won. They thought Jesus was defeated. So they took his body down from the cross and they laid him in an empty tomb. It wasn't even his own tomb. It was a borrowed tomb. They laid him there with intent to move him from this tomb to a final burial place perhaps or to purchase another burial plot for whom they had borrowed the tomb. But he didn't need a final burial because they thought they had defeated him. But when two Marys made their way, when Mary and Martha made their way up to the cro- up to the tomb, and they found an angel of the Lord sitting there on the tomb and said, He is not here, He is risen. It was the first words of victory for Jesus. He was not defeated. Three days later, the empty tomb begins to send a message to the entire world. And the message that the empty tomb sent to the world that day and continues to send to the world today, Jesus declares, we win. What the empty tomb means for you and means for me is very simple. He's not in the grave. Therefore, you and I don't have to live defeated. We win. He truly is the King of kings, worthy to be crowned Lord of lords. He won. He got up out of the grave so that you and I could live in victory. Somebody ought to put your hand in the air today and shout, we win, we win, we win, we win. John the Revelator wrote about him returning on a white horse. And he said when he returned on the white horse that he would be wearing a crown. The Apostle Paul talks about a crown that you and I will be given for those who finish this race. It was a crown that was a symbol of our victory as well. It symbolizes the fact that we have finished our race and we have finished victoriously. And we win. The only way that we're going to hear him say well done and receive a crown is if we do well and finish victoriously. The only way you and I can be victorious is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He won so we could win. On that day when we stand before him, we must hear him say, it is is well. I want you to know today that every person under the sound of my voice has the opportunity to end your life declaring we win. Because he resurrected, you don't have to live defeated. You can live victorious. 
John the Revelator goes on and writes about our crown. This crown is symbolic. It is a symbolism of us finishing and winning winning the race. There are five metaphorical crowns that the Bible talks about. Some of them may be literal and some perhaps are indeed metaphorical in which will be given to the faithful and which though for those who will reign with the Lord. Yes, we also will receive a literal crown. Let me explain. The first crown that the Bible talks about in James chapter 1 and verse number 12 is called the crown of life. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive a crown of life. I believe this is symbolic of us living victorious in this life because Jesus Christ paid the price for us to be able to live in victory. The second crown is an incorruptible crown. It again may be a crown. It is speaking of our inheritance. What we win, the prize of finishing our course is incorruptible, meaning nobody can take it away. It will not fade one day, but it is an eternal crown. The third crown is a crown of righteousness. The Apostle Paul told Timothy at the end of his life, just before his death, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, Henceforth, there is a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. That is a crown that we're going to wear because we lived righteously before him. The fourth crown is a crown of rejoicing. I like this crown again. I believe this may be a metaphorical or symbolic crown. This crown is a crown of rejoicing connected to those who go to heaven because of our witnessing. Rejoicing over someone else making it to heaven because of the good that we have done, because of your work, your words, your love, your compassion, your concern, your testimony, your witness, whatever it may be, your prayer. So the crown that you will be given, the crown of rejoicing, because you invited them to come to church with you on an Easter and on an Easter Sunday, and they prayed through and began to serve God and eventually make heaven their home. What a day of rejoicing that's going to be the only thing better than making heaven is taking somebody to heaven with you what a day of rejoicing oh what a day of rejoicing that will be the fifth crown is a crown of glory when you speak of the crown of glory it goes without saying that none of us are worthy to wear this crown because all glory belongs to Him. Only He who could wear the crown of glory is the one that has already won. The one who has already conquered. The one who has already completed and finished His course. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus endured the shame and the suffering of the cross. He died and was buried. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. But thanks be to God, on the third day, He arose declaring, I am victorious. He came forth 
from the grave, carrying the keys to death, to hell, and the grave. Can I tell you that everything that can haunt you or taunt you in this life, Jesus has already won the victory. Death, hell, and the grave. The only thing you and I have to fear, death, hell, and the grave. Jesus said, I got the keys to it. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Cast your yoke upon me. Cast your cares upon me. You can go to the tombs and you can look for the bodies. You can find the place where Muhammad was buried. He's still there. You can find body parts and pieces of Buddha. He's still there. Confucius is still in the grave. But when you look for the body of Jesus, all you're going to find is an empty tomb and grave clothes. When they placed a crown of mockery upon his head, little did they know that on the third day that he would come forth declaring to the world, we win. Oh, we're still going to have some struggles in this life. We're still going to have some things to fight in this life. But the scripture declares that one of these joyous mornings, we too are going to wear a crown. But the issue is, when he gives us the crown and it placed upon our head, when we get to where he is, our crown of glory, we will take off and cast it at his feet, recognizing him to be the one that receives all glory. The scripture declares it. It will come to pass. Yes, this life may be filled with pain. Yes, there may be anguish in this life. But one of these days there is a crowning awaiting for those who finish this race. I reach to you this morning and call for you today and declare to you, you don't have to live a defeated life. If you live your life looking for hope in a bottle, in a pill bottle, in a medicine cabinet, if you look for your hope in a drug, in alcohol, in some other source or lifestyle, you don't have to do that. That will lead to your defeat. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I didn't come to take life from you, but I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. I'm preparing to close today. I want to close by telling you about the one who ensures that we win. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 10 declares, John the Revelator said, I fell at his feet and I worshipped him. And I saw the heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness... Does he judge and make war? His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a white vesture dipped in blood. Verse 16 says, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King 
and Lord of Lords. Ladies and gentlemen, the cross was not defeat. But the cross declared him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But it means absolutely nothing unless you and I declare him my King, my Lord, and my God. It was Thomas who doubted. He saw him in the streets. He had an encounter with Jesus after the resurrection and before the ascension. Thomas looks at Jesus and says, unless I can feel the nail prints in your hand, or unless I can thrust my hand into your side, Thomas said, I've got to have some proof. I need some proof that you are he. And unless I feel the nail prints, and unless I feel the, the scars in your side, I can't believe Jesus makes himself available to Thomas. And when Thomas reaches his hand in under the coat of Jesus and touches the scars in his side, he responded and he said, My Lord and my God. The truth today is I can preach it, but until you make him your Lord and your God, you're living beneath the privilege that he has granted for you. You can say you believe, but truly you never believe until you touch his nail prints or you touch his scars and you declare, my Lord and my God. What is it that prevents you? What is it that keeps you? What is it that holds you back? He has paid the price. He is victorious so that you and I can be victorious. If you're searching for answers today, Jesus is the answer. If you're searching for hope today, Jesus is that hope. The empty tomb stands as an ancient reminder that He resurrected so that we too can resurrect in newness of life. If you have never repented of your sins, you ought to not leave this building today without repenting of your sins. If you have never identified with Him in burial, which by the way, we do that by immersion in baptism, calling on the name of Jesus. We have water here. We have a baptistry prepared. We have robes and towels and a changing room ready, a staff that's ready to help you. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, this resurrection morning is the greatest, greatest opportunity you'll ever have to rise from that burial of water baptism and rise to newness of life. 
And his word promises that if we'll do our part, he'll do his. And he will fill us with the wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost. And when your past tries to haunt you, and when all the sins and the struggles and the scars of your past, the devil comes and reminds you of all the things you've done, you can let him know, I went to a meeting on an Easter Sunday, repented of those sins and the condemnation and guilt I left in water, baptism, and I came forth to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. If you're searching for him today, you can find him. He's here and you can find him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. He's in the room. I sense him. I I feel him. Whether you know it or not, whether you recognize it or not, the Lord is here today and he's, he's calling people. I know some are in a hurry this morning to to get to your family dinner or whatever you have planned. But we're going to take time today. We're going to take time today because you can find him. When Stephen was being stoned, he saw him. Paul heard his voice thunder out of heaven. Isaiah saw him sitting on a throne. Daniel saw him reigning as the ancient of days. The, The psalmist saw him riding on the wings of the wind and John the Revelator saw him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. I present him to you today. He is the lamb for sinners slain. He came forth victorious over death, hell, and the grave. You can know him today. You can find him today. He reigns victorious over all. He he is greater than all of your failures. He has the answer to all of your questions. He can calm your greatest fears. He holds your future in his hands. He will never be defeated. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. His name is Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He calls you today asking you to bow your heads with me all over the room this morning. I want to make this as comfortable and easy as possible. Some of our elders and altar workers are going to step out ahead of you today and make their way toward the front of this room. They're just going to come gather here in the front. So there's already people that are here this morning. If you're a guest, you're welcome. If you're one who's maybe wandered away from God and it's been a while, you're welcome. If it's your first time or your 50th or 500th time, you're welcome. I invite you to step out from where you are today and make your way to the front of this room. And I want you to come today lifting your hands toward heaven and declaring, I need you, my Savior. We win this morning. Don't leave defeated. Don't leave sorrowful. Don't walk away with dread this morning but walk to the front of this room. Now I invite you this morning, I'm going to pray here just in a moment. I invite you to join us here in the front of this room. Father, I come to you right now asking you to give courage to every person. Remove all intimidation and distractions that may be in the room right now. Give us the courage, the hope, and the faith 
to step out into the aisle and walk to the front of this room. Maybe some for their very first time. Maybe some want to repent of their sins today. Maybe somebody wants to be baptized today. Whatever it may be, Lord, give us the courage to step out. Now I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I ask you to move quickly without any without any other thought. I want you to step and move forward. I'm going to count to three, and you come forward. One, two, three. They're beginning to sing now. Make your way to the front of the room. Join these that are here this morning. We're victorious today through Jesus Christ. Shall we? 